Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for you today. And Jim, let's start with the good. And this is always a tentative good, but the later we get into this Congress, the better the martini is. Uh, We are, of course, uh, very, very happy late last year when Joe Manchin went on Fox News Sunday with Brett Baer and said, you know what? I just can't do it. I can't do it with this Build Back Better. It's too much. We've spent too much money. Uh, I just think this is going too far. And that blew up the real big bill in the Biden domestic agenda that they thought they were going to get their climate agenda, their tax agenda, and so many other things that makes us shiver. Uh, And then as time went on, it didn't look like things were advancing back towards anything substantial. Then there were uh, rumors that Manchin and Schumer were getting close to something. And now Manchin is making it clear, I think based on the most recent inflation numbers, Jim, uh, that there's not going to be any piece of legislation that looks anything like what the Democrats wanted Build Back Better to be. Political reporting late Thursday night, Senator Manchin effectively killed any chance of major climate-related provisions making their way into Democrats' reconciliation package. Uh, He told party leaders that, quote, he would not support an economic package that contains new spending on climate change or includes new tax increases targeting wealthy Americans or corporations. Washington Post first to report, it marks a massive setback for party leaders uh, who had hoped to advance a central element of their agenda before the midterm elections this fall. He is willing to go forward on uh, legislation to lower prescription drug costs for seniors and to extend Obamacare. So Jim, left-wing Twitter is uh, reacting in the subdued and rational way uh, to this news that you've come to expect from all of them. Uh, No, they're calling him a MAGA Republican and all sorts of other things. Uh, Joe Manchin just knows who he represents and he knows what they're not going to accept. And that's where we're at right now in a 50-50 Senate. Thank goodness. Indeed, Greg. And for listeners who are a little bit confused, um, for clarification, the Democrats' really big spending bill was the BIF, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Framework, The really, really big spending bill was the American Relief Act, which was passed in March, threw nearly another two trillion into the economy as it was recovering, you know, that Joe Biden insists had nothing to do with with the rate of rate of inflation. But the what we're talking about here, Build Back Better, is the really, really, really big spending legislation. My calculation is that roughly each really is equivalent to one trillion dollars. Right. They're very expensive reallys there to, to give you some clarification. But yes, so look, first of all, this is good news. This should be the final word. I can't imagine in between now and Election Day, Joe Manchin's going to say, oh, you know what? Inflation seems pretty good. Let's do this. Uh, but on the other hand, I just as you were describing all that, Greg, I had this vision of Joe Manchin sleeping on his houseboat, feeling kind of soundly when he first went to sleep. But at some point in the middle of the night, he feels just something. something's bothering him. Something's wrong. It's disturbing. He wakes up with a start. And Manu Raju of CNN is at the foot of his bed saying, have you changed your mind yet? (laughs) Manu Raju seems like a good guy, but he just seems like the coverage for this entire cycle has just been obsessive. Well, you know, Joe Manchin says he's a no, but that was yesterday. How are you feeling today? You know, and every single time. So I I took a little bit of a shot at this coverage. I'm not going to say that this isn't worth covering at all, but it does feel like we've been going around in circles with this same storyline of will Joe Manchin change his mind? And he comes out and seems definitively no. And then oddly, a couple like, you know, sometimes days later, sometimes weeks later, maybe it's even been a month, 
all of a sudden his people are talking to Schumer's people and there's rumors that maybe he could get on board with some limited version of it or something. And we just, you know, and, you know, then, then Lucy rips away the football and it's the same thing happens all over again. And there we are. Hopefully this indicates no Democrats. There is no more appetite for giant spending bills. The country's dealing with a massive inflation crisis. Hopefully they get it this time. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to hold my breath, Greg. Yeah, uh, very well put. And uh, some folks on left wing Twitter are saying, you know, if we can pick up Pennsylvania and Wisconsin in the Senate, Mansion and Cinema won't matter anymore, which sadly is true if Democrats also keep the House, which is a massive if. I think if the Republicans uh, pick up the House, I think the Democrats' uh, desire to kill the filibuster is probably going to be put on ice because there's no reason to do it at that point. But uh, it is a clarion call to uh, to Republicans at the House level and the Senate level that uh, just because uh, we've avoided disaster right now doesn't mean we've got this in the bag. So keep working hard. All right, Jim, let's quickly talk about one other piece of good news for today. When you are online, you want privacy. You don't want your search provider and uh, all sorts of other uh, entities knowing exactly where you visit. That's your business. But did you know that your internet service provider knows every single website you visit? And what's worse, they could sell this information to ad companies and tech giants who will use your data to target you. ExpressVPN puts a stop to this. It creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so that your online activity can't be seen by anyone. You should be using ExpressVPN on all your devices because it works on everything. Phones, laptops, even routers. Anyone who shares your Wi-Fi can still be protected even if they don't have ExpressVPN. And the best part is using ExpressVPN is as easy as closing the bathroom door. You just fire up the app, click one button, and you are protected. So if you're like us and you believe your online activity is your business, secure yourself by visiting expressvpn.com slash martini today. Use our exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash martini, and you can get an extra three months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash martini. The Supreme Court's decision reigning in the EPA might be the most critical Supreme Court decision of the year. I'm Bill Walton. On the latest edition of The Bill Walton Show, John Vecchioni and Casey Norman of the New Civil Liberties Alliance join me to explain the ruling and long-term impact it may have in our fight against the administrative state. Join me. Follow The Bill Walton Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Jim, on to our second martini, our bad martini now, and a story that's getting a ton of attention right now, and you've uh, reported on it uh, in, in the Morning Jolt today, is the situation with the Secret Service on January 5th and 6th. Uh, it appears that uh, messages from many of those personnel were requested by the Inspector General for the Department of Homeland Security, and a lot of those messages have curiously been deleted. So there's a lot of theories coming from all different political angles today about why that happened, uh, how that happened, what it means for the larger investigation and the state of our government and so forth. What have you been able to put together? Sure. There are two versions of events. One is a really horrific and significant scandal. The version that is put forth by the U.S. Secret Service is not so much of a scandal, but I'm going to be honest, I think it still looks and smells really bad. So the U.S. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security Office of Inspector General uh, said it, it put an inquiry to the U.S. Secret Service saying we would like access to the text messages amongst your personnel on January 5th and 6th, looking into the events of the January 6th riot up on Capitol Hill. 
And the Secret Service wrote back, sorry, we can't give them to you. Uh, the text messages were lost as a result of a device replacement program that accidentally got rid of all the data that was on those phones. Um, and, you know, the Inspector General letter basically says, we made the request and then they said they'd erased it, meaning that basically they were trying to hide this information from us. Um, the head of the, the communications director for the U.S. Secret Service says this is not a scandal. It's just a case of really unfortunate and coincidental timing. Uh, you know, back in January 2021, before any inspection, we had reset its mobile phones to factory settings as part of a pre-planned three-month system migration. And in that process, data on some phones was lost. Now, if it is the version of the Department of Inspector General, this is like deliberately breaking law. This is law enforcement officers deliberately breaking the law because whatever happened on January 5th and 6th, they did not want the Inspector General and they did not want anybody else, including Congress and the public, to know what was going on in those messages. Now, I don't know what's in there. It's interesting. I saw people who are generally very pro-Trump who were really upset about this on Twitter. Meaning I think they think something is in those Secret Service messages that would be exculpatory to Trump and that would uh, uh, rebut or diffuse or mitigate the accusations from the January 6th committee. Uh, I can also see a lot of people say, oh, no, 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 what's in those Secret Services messages is uh, uh, you know very negative for Trump, that there's something in there. The other thing is possible, it's possible it's very negative for Secret Service agents. Whatever is in there, some it seems very likely somebody did not want that information to get out there. And even if you could say, oh, we were just doing the usual reboot of our systems and in the process, replacement of the phones, we lose the data. It just seems mind boggling that these law enforcement agents wouldn't think that there was any value or that anybody would want to look at their communications for those days. It just seems extraordinarily suspicious that none of these guys recognize the importance of that. Now, if they did this on, uh, you know, November 14th or, or some other date that didn't have a lot of important stuff going on, maybe it'd be easier to, to understand. Maybe you'd say, okay, this is just really bad timing. But the idea that nobody saw any value in preserving those records from January 5th and January 6th, when everybody was paying attention to what the president was doing that day, come on, that's really, really tough to believe. Uh, today's morning jolt is all about institutions and the people who undermine those institutions who are in fact supposed to be stewards of them, supposed to be preserving it and handing it off to the next generation better than it is. I think the uh, recent leaking of the Supreme Court draft is another good example of this. So deeply frustrating. We need to get to the bottom of this. Secret Service had had some you know, really unpleasant scandals in recent years prostitution, drunkenness, stuff like that. But that, I almost feel like that pales in comparison to law enforcement officers breaking the law in order to cover their own behinds. Jim, we've talked a lot in the last several years about the importance and the legal requirement to preserve government communication. I mean, the Hillary Clinton emails, of course, being uh, first and foremost among them. So I assume that translates throughout the government or are there different rules for different departments? How does that work? Well, it's worth noting that there's further on in this uh, complaint from the Department of Inspector General, there's there's also a claim that the Secret Service and other institutions will use will hide behind national security, will hide behind uh, a need to legally review it to make sure they're not disclosing anything on uh, you know that that shouldn't be disclosed. By and large, if you work for the government, the taxpayers paid for everything you did. So in that case, you don't get to treat any of your communications or anything else as private. You don't really have a right to privacy for anything you're doing in a government context. What you do on your own time with your own phone or your own computer, that's fine. 
But if you're using a government issued computer, well, then we, you know, the Office Inspector General, FOIA requests, all that kind of stuff has access to all of it. Are the limitations? Sure. You can't just say, hey, I'd like to know what the nuclear codes are. Or please tell me exactly how many uh, CIA personnel are working in Russia or something like that. However, the, you know, those there basically has to be a very strict, clear national security matter. Now, obviously, you know, information relating to the travels of the president, what the president's doing and all that stuff. Yeah, that's got a big national security component. But the idea that you're not you don't need to preserve records from a big, massive event like January 6th do, doesn't really pass the smell test and is deeply frustrating and unnerving that maybe uh, this is just another institution that's out to protect itself instead of upholding the law. There seems to be convenient timing on some of this. Didn't Lois Lerner somehow lose a ton of emails, too, as I recall? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Rogue, low-level employees in Cincinnati. They're just the worst, Greg. <laughs> Jim, let's move on to uh, another fantastic sponsor for today, and that is NetChoice. Look, new polling shows that 65% of Americans, and there might even be higher numbers in more recent polls, uh, blame Joe Biden and the Democrats for rising inflation. And uh, if they stand on a united platform to fight inflation, Republicans will likely do well in this year's midterm elections. This means the last things Republicans should be doing ahead of the midterms is supporting progressive pet projects. Only 1% of voters say they want Congress to focus on tech regulation, while 60% say they want lawmakers to focus on inflation. To win in November, Republicans should listen to the people and fight back against inflationary regulations pushed by progressives. NetChoice urges you to join it in demanding that lawmakers oppose Democrat pet projects like S2992, and tell Congress to focus on the issues that matter most to you. Learn more about the fight and send a letter to your representative at netchoice.org slash 2992. This message was brought to you by NetChoice. If we've learned anything from the 2020 election, it's that while the process of counting electoral votes is straightforward, the rules outlined in the Electoral Count Act of 1887 are vague and antiquated. There really shouldn't have been any question about whether the vice president could or should have changed the election results. Now imagine the next election full of questions about voter regularities, debates, and recounts of key state votes, except this time it's Vice President Harris being urged to interpret her role in the process as one where she has the right to determine which electoral votes count. Why? Because the Electoral Count Act is too ambiguous. This is why the Presidential Election Project aims to clearly define the role of the Vice President and ensure that the role is beyond question. The Presidential Election Project urges you to sign up for more information about why reform of the Electoral Count Act is so important. Go to presidentialelectionproject.com. Take the first step in learning more. That's presidentialelectionproject.com. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now. And if there's anything we've noticed that is blatantly obvious over the years, uh, the Democrats claim to be the champions of women and minorities. Unless, of course you happen to be a conservative. And so then then you're uh, a traitor to your gender or your race or whatever. And you're not really that thing. You're not really uh, a woman or you're not really uh, the minority. And that's the latest case now uh, in what apparently has turned into Latino week for the Democratic Party. And it's not going well for them. Of course, we had Jill Biden and her bogadas and her referring to uh, Latinos as breakfast tacos. Uh, now we've got Ruben Gallego, incumbent Democratic congressman from uh, Arizona, and he is accusing a Republican woman running for Congress of not being a real Latina. So here's the free beacon story on this. Uh, congressman Gallego accused Tanya Contreras Wheelis, a Hispanic woman running for Congress in Arizona's 4th District, of not being authentically Latina. And why, Jim? 
because she took her husband's last name. Gallego suggested that Wheelis deliberately hid her Hispanic identity before running for office to avoid discrimination. This is his quote now, so when you hear the word, that's going to make your eyeballs bulge. It's him, not me. He said, quote, If you were Latino in Arizona around 2010, people were telling us to go back to Mexico, he said. You would hear that I'm not voting for a spick. He says, Tanya is Latina cuando le conviene, meaning when it suits her. And so, <laughs> Jim, uh, here we go again with you're not a real thing in this particular category unless you agree with us ideologically. Oh, you know, uh, listeners, would you, uh, I muted myself for the uh, long stream of shock and expl- expletives uh, when, when Greg used that infamous word, or I should say Greg quoted that infamous word. I'm sure Media Matters is already working on a press release. <laughs> um, isn't it amazing that the people who insist they are committed to fighting racism tend to be some of the most racist you-know-whats imaginable. Yep. <laughs> like, you know, oh, you know, I absolutely oppose racism. That's why I'm using the S word to refer to Latinos. I absolutely, you know, it, it's really kind of uh, infuriating. And the other idea is that these people feel this need to this declaration, that they are the arbiters of who is and who is not an authentic member of that group. Who the hell is Ruben Gallego to say she's not an authentic Latina? Um, it, it is, it really reminds me of the, you know, a comment that Joe Biden didn't get nearly enough grief about his infamous, uh, Hey, if you're not voting for me, you ain't black. Uh, look, Joe Biden, you were born in 1942, grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and then in, uh, Delaware, uh, in the forties and fifties, you may vote, you may have had, you know, significant levels of support from African-Americans when you're on the ticket from Joe Biden. I don't think we can say that Delaware is a particularly, you know, heavily minority state. It certainly isn't majority minority. And Joe Biden's mouth has gotten himself in trouble regarding how he characterizes minorities and ethnic groups many, many times. His comments about 7-Eleven and, you know, Obama's the first clean and articulate, going to put you back in, in chains. I mean, he's always been demagogic and stereotypical about this. And I think that's one of the reasons that Jill Biden did not get the benefit of the doubt in her comments this week. I don't think anybody really believes that Jill Biden is full of hatred towards Latinos. I think she's just condescending and uh, obnoxious and kind of blissfully unaware of when, you know, she's just asked to describe the Latino community. She just went to three of the most, you know, cliched stereotypes imaginable and, and really indicated at best only a very surface level understanding of this community. In this one, Ruben Gallego wants to say, look, it doesn't matter what your last name is. It doesn't matter what you're born. It doesn't matter who your parents are. I decide whether you're truly Latino or not based upon your voting record and or how we dare you take the name of your spouse. It is a almost as is a silly uh, measuring stick of someone's authenticity of their uh, ethnic identity. I don't think anyone should go around telling people, oh, you're not really this or you're not really that. That's how you get really ugly uh, terms like coconuts, bananas and Oreos and stuff like that. I know it's always food, uh, Greg. And one of the ironies of this comparison is, I don't know about you, I really like bananas, coconuts and Oreos. Um, <laughs> why would you compare someone to something so delicious? But anyway, you see this stuff and it's this idea that because you don't think the same way I do, because you have different political beliefs, because you see the world differently, I have the authority to say, you're not really part of this group. 
because of that. How dare you, Latina, think for yourself? How dare you, African-American, think for yourself? Joe Biden's going to decide who's authentically black. And I think that's, you know, um, I think it's an absurd way of thinking. I don't think it really resonates with the public, but I guess we will see, Greg. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you just look at how certain people in the conservative movement are, are treated. Clarence Thomas, of course, is a pariah to the left. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett, you know, just a couple of years after Believe All Women, is just treated like a, a handmaiden, right? Uh, and so this is just uh, ridiculous. What if this was reversed? What if her maiden name was Tanya Wheelis and she married a Contreras and used that name? And then would she be accused of cultural appropriation? I mean, <laughs> no, no, she, Greg, she's not authentically white. <laughs> My other thought on that is that my absolute favorite are the people who look at Clarence Thomas's decisions and argue that someday he's going to ban interracial marriage. <laughs> if he was really that unhappy, and there's certainly no indication that that's the case, but if he was, wouldn't he just get divorced? Wouldn't that just be easier rather than, yeah, so. Um, look, the, the, you know, the demonization of folks on the right, particularly when they're minorities, knows very few limits and it is really tolerated uh, by progressives who are otherwise insist that they do not accept racism in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, it's awfully convenient when they use it and when they don't. So, Jim, uh, with that insanity, let's head into the weekend, recharge the batteries, and reconvene on Monday. Have a good one. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already, and tell a friend about us as well. Thanks very much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Also, you can get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend and join us again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. This week on the Federalist Radio Hour. I remember, you know, like most Republican voters remember, all of the pledges to repeal and replace Obamacare, but certainly to repeal it. Um, and, you know, that leads to the distrust, of course, that people have in not just Republican leadership, but the Republican Party and the political system in general. I'm Emily Jashinsky of The Federalist. Subscribe to The Federalist on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.